You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. And Justin Jones, our producer. Hey, welcome to the show. We've got another gorgeous day in Alabama, and we love it. We also know it is going to be short-lived. Lars, when you were young, and actually I think people still play this game on a regular basis, did you ever see or hear of the board game called Stratego? Yes. This is what we're playing with the conference realignment. You know, in that game, it was up to you to capture a flag, and then the other your opponent would try and get that flag back, and then it would just be a constant battle on the board. It was Stratego, and it was all about strategy, less the name. Well, Lars, I'm going to try and go through what I read this morning and kind of hold it close to the reports that I believe to be very credible. First, Dennis Dodd. You know this guy, CBS writer, correct? Yeah, yeah really Respect good. Him? Yep, yeah. very much so. Okay, he says that the SEC and the Big Ten don't want Clemson and Florida State. That kind of, I don't know, <laughs> is that a good or a bad thing? But let me go through all of this, Lars, and, and then we'll see where you stand because you've got to explain the money. Because <laughs> I can't. Who's going to get some? Who's not? Who's going? Uh, Stanford released a statement, or a statement was released about the Cardinal, that they are optimistic that they could be in the ACC this week. Meanwhile, Notre Dame's in the mix. They want Stanford and Cal to go to the ACC. The ACC, by the way, was one vote short of bringing Cal and Stanford into the conference. But they had to get one more vote from either Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, or North Carolina State. That didn't happen. Now, SMU's in the mix, all right? And coming up to the plate to speak on the Mustangs' behalf is George Bush. And let's go back out west. Stanford, Birmingham's own Condoleezza Rice. She has stepped up and said, let's go to the ACC. Uh, then, and by the way, those reports were by most of them by Brett McMurphy, another guy we both respect. We had him on the show a couple of weeks ago. And then, if I'm trying to gather all this up, Lars, uh, a couple of uh, less than reputable dot-com sites are still sending UAB to the Pac-12. Uh, I, I don't know if the money's there, uh, unless UAB makes a lot by joining that conference. I don't really know. I've probably left the gap or two but is that kind of the way you see it at 12.04 on Thursday, August 17th? Yes. Because uh, it'll change you, you in 10 actually, minutes. You did a really nice job of summarizing the current state of affairs in college football. And well, Lars, uh, I'll be honest with you. I spent a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that, that was really good. Um, one other thing is I read a story this morning uh, just about how Greg Sankey and the Big Ten commissioner have kind of formed this uh, alliance with one another. Uh, for a long time, their relationship appeared to be frosty, but now I think they realize that they are the two heaviest hitters in the sport. And I still think Greg Sankey is the most powerful man in college football and therefore all of college sports. But uh, given the fact that the Big Ten is now up to 18 teams and they've added Oregon and Washington, USC and UCLA, I mean, the Big Ten basically 
you know, rated the Pac-12 and got their four most marketable teams, their four best college football teams, and and that just enhances, I think, the uh the overall product of the Big Ten because uh one you increase the the television footprint but also you're bringing in this great great college football teams with a great tradition and I know that the ACC um behind the scenes had been in conversations about trying to add Oregon and Washington along with Cal and Stanford uh and these discussions have been had been going on for over a year and um it just uh it, it didn't happen now what is what is the next domino to fall i don't know it's a good i mean it's a really good question um i think the ACC is just going to be kind of standing pat. Um, we all know that Florida State uh, made it known that they weren't happy with the revenue distribution model of the ACC. And so they just sort of, uh, you know, in, in politics, like they, they, what you, if you're thinking about launching a new policy, Right, uh, you're thinking about uh, of of uh, I don't know, just something new and, and different. You you float trial balloons out there, and you see what the public is going to think about it. And I think this was kind of a trial balloon that Florida State was uh, floating out there to see if they could get the SEC or the Big Ten to play ball. And you know what, the SEC and the Big Ten said. Thanks, but no thanks. And so Florida State, they kind of they, they don't look real good right now. No, <laughs> and, they don't. And, uh, you know that they look to be really in a position of power. Uh, just a, a week. Yeah, and and now they're in a position of weakness. Yeah, because they essentially showed their cards and uh, and and you know that and, and now everybody knows what they have. Right and and nobody <laughs> and the Big Ten and the SEC said, "Hey, I don't like the hand that you're holding. Uh, go back home to the ACC." And now all the other ACC presidents and uh, athletic administrators can't be very happy with Florida State uh, because if Florida State had bolted the conference to say the SEC, uh, it could have led to a very quick unraveling of the ACC. But now, since that didn't happen, is it possible that they all can come together and they actually do figure out a new way to uh, split the television revenue, not just being equal shares to every school, but uh, somehow, you know, give give a little bit more to schools that attract more eyeballs, right? That that just uh that sort of lead the charge when it comes to television ratings. Uh we'll see. We'll see. Uh but <laughs> I'm pretty tired of talking about all this. Aren't you? Aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, believe it, it or does not. Does anybody rather... find this interesting? I it it I... is it is but uh, it is interesting to a degree. But, uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time talking about it because it's important. It's important because the landscape of college football, as I've mentioned so many times, is, it's just shifting beneath our feet right now. And, um, and we're all trying to figure out where it's going to end up. And you and I both believe that it's, uh, you know, 
what uh, who's it? It was Chip Kelly uh, saying the other day that he thinks all of uh, college football should be like Notre Dame, be an independent, but have every other sport be tied to a conference, and therefore you just then take like you know sixty four of the best uh, college football teams and put them in one division, and then you have the next sort of sixty four put them in another division, and they each play it out for their own uh, national championships. But we'll see. We'll see where it's going. Um, it'll also be interesting to uh, to see where and how college football playoff, how the college football playoff system is impacted by this uh, realignment that we've seen this offseason. Right, like uh, is is the model that they that they were discussing for the twelve team playoff? I think it was uh, what was it, Justin? It was like six conference champions get automatic bids, and then the the top highest uh, ranked teams after that would get uh, bids. So there'd be six automatic bids and and six at large bids, and I think that's gonna they're gonna reduce that to maybe. Five, but it's just something that is going to be discussed. And again, there's, there's just, there's more unknown than known about, gosh, even the immediate future of the game, Matt. And it changes not every day. It seems like hourly. Uh, the lengthy list I just gave you a minute ago, those posts and those stories and reports were like a couple of hours apart. As all of this just started to unfold, and I am tired of talking about it, but it is a must, and you you got to keep up. Or you won't know the score, and you know we think we get a little tired of talking about who's going to be a quarterback in Alabama, who's going to be the quarterback at Auburn. I'd rather talk about that, uh, even though we seem to have talked that to death. So I want to ask you real quick, Justin Fowler, former Alabama fullback and NFL player, is going to join us literally in just a couple of minutes. But just di- take a quick dive into Notre Dame's role in all of this, because they want Stanford and Cal to go play football in the ACC and they're not really a member of the ACC. All their other sports are. But Notre Dame, how big is the card they hold? It's huge. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, if we keep this model of all the football teams being in conferences, I think eventually Notre Dame makes sense to join the Big Ten. Right, uh, I and, agree. But man, just think if uh, Greg Sankey could somehow lure Notre Dame to the SEC. Um, Notre Dame holds a, a lot of uh, bargaining power right now because, again, just this massive, massive following, and um, you know their own uh, TV deal and, and 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 all that. So, um, where do you think Notre Dame will end up? I think Notre Dame's. I think Notre Dame right now is just perfectly fine being independent. Just sure and, and, I, and I've read reports that uh, who's their AD Swarbuck is he still there? Um, so. I, yeah, uh, that he has uh, indicated sort of internally that they have no plans on going anywhere because they they like where they are. They like the position that they're in, and especially when we get to this twelve team playoff format, I think they'll be sitting pretty. I do too, but if uh, there are talks between Notre Dame and the SEC, I truly wonder if there are enough 
teams in the SEC that would actually approve that. So I, I think it's not just an Alabama-Notre Dame thing, and that's been a huge rivalry, even though they rarely play. But um, I, I wonder how many. I wonder if Georgia wants Notre Dame in the conference. So they they bring a totally different table set to a league. Uh, you know what else they bring? A lot of money, a lot of TV, yeah. revenue, a lot of viewers. I mean, so, and also, right. you know, I mean, technically, Notre Dame for all other sports except football is in the ACC, and right. uh, and they have that deal. Uh, that contract goes to twenty thirty six. Right, but there is a caveat that while the Iris remain independent, they still have to play five ACC teams on their schedule every year. And uh, to me, it's just uh, you know why move? Like Notre Dame, they are having their cake and eating it as well. Absolutely. Hey, we're going to take a break from that, and we're going to talk some Alabama football with former Alabama fullback. Justin Fowler. He will uh, be with us literally in just a couple of minutes as you listen to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of sunshine this afternoon, the high today around 90. Clear tonight, the low 67. Tomorrow is sunny day with a high at 92. And for the weekend, heat levels continue to rise. Lots of sunshine Saturday and Sunday. Highs between 93 and 96. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 85 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. It is Big Noon Sports. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Justin Jones, all with you on this uh, beautiful, sunny Thursday afternoon. Uh, We are awaiting. Justin Fowler will get him on. He's making an appearance here very shortly. And I want everybody to know where he's going to be and how you can meet him and uh, get an autograph and uh, maybe take a picture with him. Uh, But we'll get to that when we get him on the phone. 
course, uh, Fowler played with Alabama up to 2014, I think, and 15. He was drafted by the Tennessee Titans. He played five or six years in the National Football League. So hopefully we'll get in touch with the former Alabama fullback in just a minute. But you know what? When I was doing my research, you know, our homework for the show, um, other really interesting stories popped up. And uh, while we've got a minute, I'm going to go over a couple of those and, and get Lars's reaction real quick. But uh, James can't James can't get a break in Detroit. Do you see where he pulled his hamstring and now they think he's going to be out for the year? I did not see that. He can't catch a break. Uh, he's not really been able to show uh, what he did at Alabama because he was injured most of last year, wasn't he? Uh, yes. And, so. yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I did see that. Um, gosh, that uh, he's going to miss uh, at least the, um, the, yeah, he's going to miss the rest of the preseason. We know that with a hamstring injury. Maybe I misread um, that. And probably won't be on the field until mid-October at the earliest and he was already suspended for the first six games of 2023 uh, for violating the league's gambling policy. And um, and then last year, he missed most of his rookie season. Remember, he suffered that ACL tear um, in the, what was that, in the national championship game or the semifinal game? Um, I think it was the semifinal game. Gosh, I can't remember. But I think um, it was in the championship game. Anyway. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, just the and if he doesn't get hurt, by the way, I think Alabama the, the outcome is different. Put it that way. Um, and you know, the Lions, what they wanted to do was uh, give him a heavy preseason workload, uh, given that he's going to have the six game ban. And in the um, in the in the Lions season opener against the uh, New York Giants, uh, Williams played 51 snaps, which is incredible. That's 71 percent of all the offensive snaps. Um, and he did uh, drop a, a, a touchdown pass, but um, they were counting on him. They were going to be counting. He is he was their 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 deep threat. And when he was healthy last year, he showed explosiveness and he was sort of everything that they hoped that he would be uh, after drafting him in the first round. And um, gosh, I remember when he was at Alabama and uh, and remember we had like Matt Finkus on uh, several times from Ohio State. And uh, we were just asking him, how, how could Jamison Williams be considered like the fourth best receiver at Ohio State? Like this guy is so good. And um, and I, I just and, and the thing about hamstring is injuries, as you know, Matt, is that they can just linger and linger and linger. And that is uh, not good news at all for the Lions. Well, you know, it's uh, it's a touchy injury. Uh, but believe me, when it happens, you know it. And different bodies uh, take longer or shorter to recover from it. 
And man, the hamstring's all about wide receivers, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and Without a healthy one, you can't get open. To and, and we were talking about a wide receiver yesterday for Tampa Bay who uh, I think he tore his ACL, Justin Gage, Gogney. Is it Gage? Yeah, Justin Gage. Uh, he uh, it doesn't spell like it's not spelled like Gage. That's that's what confused me. But um, yeah, Justin Gage, he's out for the year with uh, tearing an ACL in a joint practice, and um, Jamison Williams' injury also occurred in a joint practice with uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it was uh, during a seven-on-seven drill. And uh, he's running a deep ball route, and uh, midway through the route, he pulls up kind of lame, right, and, and grabbing his right hamstring. And so, uh, man, it's a, it's a tough one, tough injury. You ever pulled your hammy? I no, not not. I have uh, stretched it out a little too much. Uh, that's for sure. But I've never actually pulled it. Have you? No, I'm, uh, in I'm not the same fast boat enough. With you there. No, <laughs> fast I'm not enough either. to pull a I mean, You know, it wouldn't matter if I pulled my hamstring <laughs> anyway. I'm still going to be the same speed. Um, but no, but I've I've seen it happen and been on ball fields when uh, when it's occurred. Actually, happened to some one of my teammates. He was sprinting towards second, and this guy was fast. And all of a sudden, he screamed bloody murder, murder and hit the dirt. And he knew exactly, and you could almost hear it. Because when you really pull it, you almost snap it. it it's just—it's a horrifying feeling and sound, and it wasn't much fun to watch it either. But uh, Justin, again, have you ever pulled a hammy? I have not. Um, surprisingly, I've only ever like cramps like once or twice. In oh my man, <laughs> I have had uh, cramps in my hamstring. That is so painful. Oh my goodness, yeah. I'll tell you yeah, the first usually, time it happened. Uh, I w- we were playing like football in waist deep water at the beach, and I believe it or not, I thought I had been attacked by a shark. <laughs> <laughs> like just seized up, and I couldn't even stand. Yeah, I mean that's the way it, it really is. It, it like it seizes up on you, um, but you know, again, since he was going to miss the first six games anyway. Uh, that's, that's why Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Lions, after uh, practice, he said, you know, this is a setback, but I'm not going to sweat it as long as he continues to grind and, and uh, it stays in the playbook and gets everything right. You know, hopefully he'll be ready to go, you know, at some point because the Lions, you know, they're the they're the sexy pick to um, not just win their division, but make a run in the playoffs, and which is an amazing thing to say because the Lions have been bad forever. But uh, I think Jared Goff has really found his footing there with uh, with the Lions, and uh, he's reminding all of us why he was picked number one overall. But uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and the Lions have done a great job just with roster construction. They've made a lot of really good draft picks and. And uh, and Dan Campbell, that, that guy is a, a joy to watch on the sidelines, and his press conferences are so fun. <laughs> like he just tells you like it is. He what, is. What a, is it? He said he, he'll bite your kneecap off, right? When yeah. He falls down. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Late last night, I I couldn't sleep. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't that late, but the thirty for thirty of the nineteen eighty five Chicago Bears was on. 
what a team that was. What a team that was. And, uh, I mean, Matt, you remember this of that 1985 Bears in the Super Bowl. They beat New England 46 to 10 and Walter Payton doesn't get a, a, a touchdown. So, um, and, you know, he was really upset about that. But, um, I, I wasn't around then clearly Lars but I watching the uh, the quarterback show on Netflix it was interesting to see how Mike Singletary had been a youth football coach for Kirk Cousins um weird how it it all yeah. ties into each other yeah yeah um that that defense was just so menacing and I've never seen anything like it and the thing is defensive or excuse me offensive coordinators had never seen the 46 defense before. And so they didn't have a lot of tape to watch. And you just didn't know where different blitzers were coming from. And and one, uh, I think, underrated aspect of that team is just how smart all of those defensive players were and just how they bought into Buddy Ryan's system. And, boy, they, just, they loved Buddy Ryan. And, and to this day, Buddy Ryan is still the only assistant coach ever to be carried off the field after winning a Super Bowl. But, uh, hey, we're, we're going to still try to uh, get in touch here with uh, um, uh, Dalston Fowler, and uh, hopefully we'll have him up and ready to go. This is Big Noon Sports. We'll be right back. The Universal Truth... Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of r Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to r and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Welcome back in to Big Noon Sports. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. Interesting story out of uh, Boulder, Colorado. Um, there's a lot of interesting stories coming out of Boulder <laughs> these days with uh, Dion Sanders. Um, it has to do with a, a fight. Um, you know, most football coaches tell their players, hey, we're in the dog days of August. Don't get in fights with your teammates. Tempers are going to flare. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be some, you know, late hits, some chippiness. But don't get in fights with your teammates. 
sort of a rule number one. Actually, rule number one is don't take your helmet off when there's a fight. But uh, <laughs> rule number two is try not to get in fights. And um, uh, but Deion Sanders is a little bit different. And um, and and I'm sorry. Do, do we have Jalston up? Did you say? Oh, sorry, Matt, uh, Matt's uh, back on the. Oh, okay, okay, my bad. Uh, um, no, so I don't know. I don't know if you saw the story, Matt. But so Deion okay, yeah, Deion Sanders treats fights a, a little bit differently. So uh, a little uh, fracas broke out. Fracas. Uh, gosh, my enunciation of words is just terrible. Uh, a, a fight broke out uh, during a goal line drill. Uh, a safety grabbed a running back by his jersey and he tossed the running back to the ground after the uh, running back, uh, Anthony Hankerson, had scored. And this caused, uh, so the running back gets thrown to the, the ground by the safety. Uh, and then this causes a, an offensive tackle. It's a dude who's six foot ten. Six foot ten offensive tackle. Uh, you don't see a lot of them. Six foot ten, about, you know, 320. Um, he didn't like that. And so, uh, pushing and shoving, a start and, and several teammates, uh, joined in, but, they didn't join in to fight. They joined in to keep the peace. And a couple assistant coaches ran in there and tried to separate players. And and then Coach Prime, he runs in there. And he says that he's just not happy with what he just saw. That this was blankety, 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 blank. And, you know, at this point, the player's like, yeah, you know, we shouldn't be fighting. He's like, hey... I see two of you walking off over there and you've got a teammate fighting. Why'd you do that? Where are you? If one fights, we all fight. You understand that? I don't want to see you all walking off when somebody's fighting. Never again. What do you think of that notion, Matt? If one fight, we all fight. I think he's right. You know? Uh, You don't let him get out of hand, but you know, uh, it's kind of like hockey fights sometimes in practice. You know, teammates and refs will stand back and let them go at it for a while. Then after that, you know, if safety's going to become an issue here, whatever the case may be, you let them go for a little while. But uh, I don't know. You may disagree. Then my other thought was, I'll bet Deion Sanders never got in a fight while he was playing. <laughs> Don't you think, do you think? Well, that is a great... If he wouldn't tackle anybody, why would he hit somebody? That is a great point. Um, yeah, I mean, if uh, he like was allergic to tackling, <laughs> and maybe that was why he was such a great player for, um, you know, uh, such a great cover corner because he didn't get hurt ever uh because of uh throwing his body into harm's way and um and so but you know he is just trying to instill a new culture at colorado they're coming back i mean last year they were one and eleven but now i don't think a one and eleven team in the history of college football has gotten more attention and been in the spotlight as much as colorado 
because of one person, and that's Dion Sanders. And he just uh, is doing things in a way that uh, runs sort of counter to how they have always been done. And uh, this is just one more illustration of this. I, I've never seen a, a coach encourage players to fight each other. Now, I get it when it's uh, another team, right, coming after uh, when, when a fight breaks out, say, during these joint practices. And they usually do. Um, I mean, I remember last year, Cincinnati and uh, the the Rams, they had a preseason joint practice. And who scheduled that joint practice, you know, four or five months after they played each other in the Super Bowl? <laughs> like, that is uh, a recipe for disaster and it's a huge fight. But that's two different teams. And uh, now you have Deion Sanders just saying, hey, if one one of us fights, we all fight, even if it's our own team. Uh, it's sort of, it's a little strange to me. Uh, but um, again, he's uh, just trying to transform the culture in Boulder. And he wants to instill toughness and and make sure that uh, they don't back down from anybody. And, you know, we're going to find out a lot about Deion Sanders in Colorado right out of the gate. You know, they begin the season uh, September 2nd at TCU. And then the following week at home, uh, they host uh, their longtime rival and team that I kind of like, uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Kind of like. But it'll be in Folsom Field, at Folsom Field. I mean, got to remember, like the spring game, there was a freaking snowstorm at the spring game, but it was still sold out at Colorado. Yeah. That's never happened. It was all broadcast Wasn't on ESPN. Yeah. Only- yeah, yeah. And it was the only sellout in the, in the country. Um, and so when Nebraska comes into town again on September 9th, I think it is, um, they, there, that will be a really amazing environment. And, uh, we'll, we'll learn a lot, I think, about Matt Rule, uh, and Nebraska, but we'll learn even more about Deion Sanders and what he's been able to do with uh, bringing in, gosh, how many guys do you bring in the transfer portal? 70? 50. 50? Yeah. yeah. I mean, 50, just uh, just an, an insane amount and uh, basically just handed the starting quarterback job to his son. Um, and, again, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, again, just what, what is your reaction to this story? Well, I like it. I, I think he needs to instill that toughness. Um, I don't know if, if when he said we fight as a team, maybe he was more referring to, all right, you're on defense, you're on offense, and you're going to stick up for your your own side of the football. That's kind of what I read from it. But uh, you're right. It's, it's a little odd, but I am. I agree with it. I'm 100%. I, I think Dion's. I, I haven't agreed with a lot of things that he's done. This one I do. Man, be tough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I can't necessarily fault him for that either. Um, just a couple other news and, and notes here. Um, a bunch of uh, former athletes uh, from Northwestern have, have come out and wrote a letter 
uh, and that they've signed uh, condemning hazing in any form, but they also defended the uh, culture at uh, at Northwestern. It was and more than a thousand former Northwestern athletes uh, did this, and they said that. Uh, um, that the, the, the allegations that surfaced this summer don't define uh, the program. And um, it's uh, the letters signed by uh, Northwestern athletes in every varsity sport at the school, including 277 football players. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you would kind of expect this to, to everybody rally around. Uh, the uh, longtime co- coaches at Northwestern, and but the facts are facts, and and right now Northwestern is facing lawsuits from more than ten former players who allege hazing and other forms of mistreatment within the football program. And um, I mean, Matt, and we we we've there is some evidence there, uh, and we've we've yeah. seen it, we've seen it, we've heard from the players, and. Uh, who are uh, involved in these various lawsuits. And um, so, w- again, we'll see. And it would be, it would be great if uh, we could get our, our, our buddy on, um, Skip Holtz, who is sort of acting as a almost like an advisor uh, to the football program. And, um, and, and, and I don't know. I think he's just there to try, try to help them weather the storm and also to be uh, a, a sounding board for the current head coach, just because Skip has so much uh, experience in being a head coach at the college level. And we know that he's won back-to-back championships in the USFL with uh, the Birmingham Stallions. And um, I don't know if Skip would be able to talk now about what he's doing, but you know, after all this is, is, has sort of uh, uh, settled down a little bit, um, you know, maybe we could get him on and just see kind of, uh, again, what his role actually is. But, uh, when, when, when Skip Holtz was plucked away and was hired to do this, he wasn't plucked away because he is still going to be the head coach of the Birmingham Stallions. But what, what did you think, Matt? I mean, did you think, oh, this is absolutely a perfect thing for Skip Holtz to be doing? I think it was a great choice. Uh, I kind of think I know what he's doing. I mean, he's just this, he's the wildcat consultant. Uh, coaches, players, staff members, if they got something they really need to talk about, if it's hazing or if it's a fight on the field, uh, you've got a very experienced, and may I add, and I think you would agree, very diplomatic guy. Uh, and he's a player's coach. Yeah. So that's the kind of guy that you need in there. My fear was that he's going to go there and this may still happen. He was going to go to Northwestern. They're going to kind of see how that worked out. And then maybe offer him $6 million, $7 million a year to stay. And I don't know how he could turn that kind of money down. But then Braun's in the picture and man, he is very well liked. I hear good things out of the practices there at Northwestern. So um, I think there's also a good chance that he stays on. But uh, it's a mess and, and but I'm a little interested. I, I got a question for you since you read this article more than I did. I got a question for you about that letter and see if you can't fill in a couple of blanks on it. As we continue on Big Ben Sports, brought to you by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage.
Work is a part of all of us. Working drives us to push beyond what we thought was imaginable and allows us to come together again for the things that really matter. That's why the Alabama Department of Labor and the Alabama Career Center System is here to help you discover bigger opportunities than ever before. Visit your local career center or alabamaworks.alabama.gov. Funding provided by the USDOL, PTA, and Federal WIOM. An equal opportunity employer program. Auxiliary aids and services available upon request. Brought to you by this station and the Alabama Broadcasters Association. Oh, yes. 24-7. You'll find road and utility crews, tow trucks, law enforcement, and first responders working along Alabama's roadway. We're making improvements and helping our communities stay connected. We're working hard to make sure you're safe on the road. Now we need your help to make sure we're safe, too. Alabama's move over law requires you to move over a lane when you see flashing lights on the roadside. And if you can't safely move over, please slow down. Visit drivesafealabama.org. Brought to you by the Alabama Department of Transportation, Alabama Broadcasters Association, and this station. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of sunshine this afternoon. The high today around 90. Clear tonight below 67. Tomorrow is sunny day with a high at 92. And for the weekend, heat levels continue to rise. Lots of sunshine Saturday and Sunday. Highs between 93 and 96. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 85 degrees. Degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. The gang is all here. We appreciate it on Thursday afternoon. Thank you for being with us. Um, next hour, quickly. Uh, Lars, who's coming at one? I like this guy. He, he's the guy that says, I like the big dog. He's the guy that wants to drive the golf ball. That's right. Uh, former uh, student of mine, and I don't know, he might be taking a class of mine this semester, but uh, Cannon uh, Claycomb, who is uh, Alabama's top golfer uh, and going to be returning to Alabama this year after briefly flirting with the idea of uh, trying to earn his PGA Tour card, uh, he's going to join us and we're going to talk about what is happening at uh, the uh, U.S. Amateur and how a Alabama player, Alabama player is uh, making some moves here and uh, just beat the number one player in the tournament yesterday, uh, the 2022 individual champ from uh, Vanderbilt. Um, Nick Dunlap took him down and uh, Nick Dunlap is the uh, Alabama golfer he's a, a rising sophomore and he was able to uh, to beat um, uh, uh, Sergeant Gordon Sergeant uh, the he's a tw- Vandy golfer yeah 2022 but he's also an Alabama native I believe where, yeah, where is from he Birmingham. Is yeah, he from Mountain from, Brook from Mountain Brook yep, yep. how did Alabama uh, let him get away I don't know, but uh, you don't just see one or two players anymore that compete at the PGA level from Alabama. They're all over the place. Yeah. But uh, other guests, it, it, can you confirm this on air? Yeah, Tim uh, Brando is going to join. Brando? Yeah, okay. Timmy Timmy's going to join us at one fifteen to uh, be, talk all things college football. Yeah, let's get him to sort out all this conference realignment and so forth. Uh, and I, I'm also just. I'm sure he, seeing now that uh, the Dolphins offensive tackle Taron Armstead uh, the left tackle for the Dolphins has been carted off the field uh, practice which is not good for Tua uh, the extent of his injury is unknown at this time 
Tyreek Hill, after practice, uh, believes him to be okay. He's Tyreek Hill spoke to reporters and spoke to Teron Armstead, where Teron Armstead reportedly said he's just old and that <laughs> Tyreek Hill expects <laughs> him to, uh, to recover. I mean, didn't they? Uh, they acquired Armstead in the off season, right? And they just uh, they paid him a enormous amount of money to usually left tackles the the blind side protector but if you got a lefty quarterback obviously it's not the blind side but nonetheless a, a huge uh, uh addition for the dolphins and and uh you know they have they are making it a priority to keep to upright and make sure that he takes as as few of hits as possible given uh the issues he had last year with concussions and boy that really scary scene in, in Cincinnati on, on Monday night when uh, uh, it it was really frightening. Um, so he stood up and almost fell over. It was, uh, yeah. Uh, it's just uh, all the things you never want to see. I do understand, maybe we talked about this a little bit, but, uh, when they were starting their preseason camp, um, they had gotten together with some helmet manufacturers and they have made him what is called a very special absorbent of the hit type helmet so um hopefully that will help if you want to get back oh wait can i just ask you one quick question oh, absolutely. if you were to his dad what what would you advise your son to do what if what if uh, uh matt your son was in that situation and there's so much money on the line but you're in the stands and you've seen uh your son get uh wow. you know go through these things that we we now are there's you know mounting evidence that repeated concussions lead to CTE. Um, this is it's scary and stuff. ALS. Yes, yeah. yes. With uh, guys like so what what would what would you tell Matt? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Yeah, I'm on him and Hall here for a second. Um, uh, I think the first thing I would do is get as much information from the medical personnel uh, and ask all the questions you just did, okay? But in the end, um, it's his decision, you know? Yeah. If I found evidence that uh, he may be long-term ding-dong, then I would highly, highly recommend that he stop and then lay in front of him the many reasons. Your family, your children, you've got money, you signed for a lot, so maybe you, on a kind of a similar deal, maybe you just uh, take the Dale Earnhardt Jr. way out and just say, okay, I've, I've had too many bumps to the head. I'm getting out. You know what? Uh, I can't think of a single NFL player who, um, you know, for whatever injuries that they suffered during their playing days, say, then 20 years later, that they are really um, – hobbled by them and uh and their quality of life is not great but if you ask them would you do it all over again virtually a hundred percent say absolutely yep yep i can't re- yeah. i can't imagine i don't know if i can remember one who has said ah i shouldn't have done that you, you know there's a great example in kind of a funny way you remember nick nolte in north dallas 40 when he would get out of bed and his every 
joint on his body would creak and crank and he had to turn a certain way just to get out of bed and then the first thing that he reached for was uh, painkillers and certainly not, I'm not endorsing that way but he would have done it all over again too um, and the guys I know guess, guess where Nick Nolte is from Nick Nolte is from California Omaha, Nebraska why didn't I guess that first? Either that or Cincinnati, Ohio. I couldn't have missed it either. One he actually dated uh, one of my friend's uh, uh, moms in when they were in high school. So, have you seen North Dallas Forty? Because it it might have been a little bit before your time. It, it was, but it, it was <laughs> it was one of the first movies my dad took me to. Yeah, and I, I had no business as like a, a six year old going to that no. movie. No. <laughs> um, yeah, they they threw it around, literally and figuratively. Um, but any movie that can actually make Mac Davis look like a quarterback, man, there's some good there's some good uh, casting because uh, it was really you ought to watch it again. Yeah. Let's watch it together. I don't know sometime in 2024 because both our calendars are filling up in our room. I've heard from many people that North Dallas Forty is the most accurate portrayal of what ha- what goes on with a professional team because uh, there were a lot of uh, uh, NFL players that were involved in the writing of that script. Oh, I believe it's true. I never played, but I have talked to people that have played in the National Football League, and they said that's about as close as it gets. Because, I mean, they go deep. Uh, they go into the contracts and ownership versus players. Um, and they don't pull many punches. All right, I got to get back to the Colorado, to the Northwestern letter, okay? Yeah. Um, it was composed by student athletes at Northwestern, right? Mm hmm. They absolutely. Yeah, so what, what Matt is saying is that uh, this uh, letter, again, that Northwestern athletes, they sent, it was uh, or over a thousand signed this letter, and it was an open letter uh, condemning hazing in any form. But they also defended the the culture that is instilled in all of the throughout the athletic department at Northwestern. And um, in the the uh, letter, I believe it was obtained by ESPN, um, and it's signed by athletes uh, in every varsity varsity sport of the school, including 277 football players. And again, this comes in light because there's 10 former football players that have sued Northwestern alleging hazing and other forms of mistreatment within the program. Um, and, uh, you know, right now, uh, the, the university has hired, uh, former, uh, U.S. Attorney General, uh, Loretta Lynch. I think she was, uh, Attorney General in the Clinton administration. Uh, she is conducting an investigation into the culture there at Northwestern and, um, and just the way that, uh, the department, um, uh, implements sort of, uh, accountability, uh, to their, their coaches. And, um, you know, I, this is kind of, uh, to be expected. Uh, that, hey, we condemn hazing. Well, of course you do. I mean, everybody condemns hazing. And, you know, we were talking to Matt, uh, Finkus yesterday, 
uh, former All-American defensive end at Ohio State. And, um, you know, hazing goes on at every level, basically, going starting probably with high school and then uh, college, NFL. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, is there humiliation involved? Is there uh, do you uh, there's a difference between, you know, uh, really humiliating someone and like saying taping them to a goalpost. Right. And, uh, uh, and, and yeah. And so, uh, do we say, do we have Matt back? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah we, go we, ahead. It shouldn't degrade the player as a human. And it never gets, it never needs to get to the point where someone's health is in jeopardy. And that's what you've got to make sure it doesn't happen. I understand the process of bringing a, a team or a class or a group, a pledge class. Uh, closer together, bonding, and then bonding with the team as a whole. I, I understand that, and I've uh, I've seen it done. I've seen it done properly. Uh, it was uh, it was difficult experience, but you know I felt it served its purpose. But nobody was paddling anybody or running you until you threw up. So I don't <laughs> I don't know how that, and especially the when they get into the sexual abuse. That's just that's yeah. Crazy. Um, Matt, I just got a text from a friend, and and she said, "Do you notice how Southerners pronounce Colorado? Like you say Colorado, I say Colorado. It's Rado, but I'm from the South. Live with it. So you say Colorado? Yeah. All right. It is Colorado, though. I think that's the proper way to say it. And tell your friend, thank you, and I will do my best to adjust, but <laughs> don't bank on." It. All right, roll, like roll tide. Uh, <laughs> top golf in a minute on Big News Sports. Barry Buckner here. This is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. WTUG HD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. A town square media station. More big noon sports coming up. It is big noon sports. Matt, Lars, Justin, the gang is here. As we've been, it's halftime. We broke. We got our Gatorade. And when one of those little sandwiches everybody ate, the Christian Middle was taking them, the little peanut butter sandwiches, eat a bunch of those at halftime, then you're ready to go. So that's what we've done, metaphorically. Uh, but we want to talk some golf, Lars. Yeah, our next guest is uh, Cannon Claycomb, the uh, top golfer at Alabama, uh, who uh, really had a chance to uh, try to get his PGA Tour card, but decided to come back 
to Alabama for his senior season and uh, um, should be noted that, that Cannon, the student of mine, uh, and uh, what a terrific student he is. And today, Cannon is going to be our reporter at the uh, at the uh, um, uh, the U.S. Amateur Championships. And so, Cannon, tell us first of all how did how did you fare in the in the U.S. Amateur? Yeah, so um, I had a pretty good week. I finished 145th. I think there was 325 players ish. So beat about 60% of the field, just didn't make anything. Uh, but we have our boy, Nick Dunlap, who is, I think, two up through 14 right now in the round of 32. And he's making it look pretty easy out there. So I am all eyes and ears on the leaderboard as of right now, watching my teammate and um, what should be Bama's new favorite golfer slash athlete on campus in Tuscaloosa. Okay, so tell us about Nick Dunlap, uh, who um, is a, a rising sophomore at Alabama and obviously a, a teammate of yours. Just to tell us a little bit about Nick and, and, and his game. Yeah, Nick's a great player. He's from Huntsville, um, moved to Tuscaloosa. His family, they live in Northport now. Um, as you said, a rising sophomore. He's, in my opinion, the best player in amateur golf right now. He drives it far, puts it good hits his iron solid, chips it nice. He does everything really solid. Um, we at Alabama have had a blast having him on the team. And, um, yeah, like I said, I mean, I think he's the best player in amateur golf right now. He beat the number one player in the world yesterday, 2-1. Um, and one. and um, he's making it look pretty easy. So I think he has a good shot of winning this championship in the next couple of days. Hey, um... I should probably know this, and I could look it up real quick, but tell me the specifics of the U.S. Amateur. Where is it this year? Who actually is invited? And what is the format of the tournament? Yeah, so um, it's a two-day, two 36-hole stroke play. You have 300 and – I think it's 312 players. Um, so we played, Chicago, or we played Colorado Golf Club one day, Cherry Hills the other day. And then after the two rounds of stroke play, it cuts to 64, and they play match play. So I think Nick finished, like, 34th or 35th in stroke play, and um, he won his match yesterday. So stroke play is now irrelevant, and he is playing match play to try and win the, the overall tournament. So that is kind of the format we're working with. And so he's up. He's he's four up through sixteen, right? Does that mean he's clinched it, and so he moves on to the round of sixteen? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so he's done. If he's four up through sixteen, he should be done. Um, he'll play again this afternoon. They're playing thirty-six today, and I believe thirty-six tomorrow to try and get down to eight. I, I think that would be right. Maybe four. Um, no, I think it'd be eight. So, yeah, he's going to have another match this afternoon. He's going to have to keep winning. Um, and there will be one player at the end. The one thing, like, I equate it to is kind of the NCAA basketball tournament. For those people that watch uh, a bunch of college basketball, you have your number one seed from stroke play plays your 64 seed from stroke play, two plays 63, and so on. Um, and then you just work your way down to whoever's last standing at the end, and that's your champion. 
Hey, would you define amateur status? Because I, I knew a guy that was a really a guy named Sam Farlow here in Alabama before you two guys, uh, and he won the Alabama amateur five straight years, but he had played and won money as a professional on the PGA Tour. So he reclassified. Uh, I may be asking a little bit deep on here, but what what qualifies an amateur in golf? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so in golf, he probably had his professional status for a couple of years and then had to reapply for his amateur status. Um, which probably took him two or three years to get his amateur status back, so he'd be allowed to play no golf during that time. Um, at least no competitive golf during that time. Uh, but an amateur... Lars, it sounded like he was on the golf course. Did, did yeah, I he think fall he, out I think, water yeah, hazard? I think he is. I'm worried. <laughs> I, Somebody, did he get struck in the head? Uh, he, he kind of went really, plunk in a hurry. Um, no. You know, given the fact that Nick Dunlap is doing so well, and again, he's a rising sophomore at Alabama, and you team him with Cannon, wow, what a one-two punch Alabama's going to have on the golf team next year because we know how good Cannon is. I mean, he's uh, he's a PGA Tour player just waiting to happen. All right, we we have Cannon back up. Uh, and, and Cannon, I wanted to ask you, um, are, are you surprised by uh, your uh, teammate uh, Nick Dunlap, his performance? And, and what does this uh, say about Alabama golf this coming season uh, with, uh, I mean, not just – you too being a great one-two punch, but with uh, the other guys and the, and the depth on your team. This time it's the sand trap. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah, we got you now. Yeah. yeah, no, sorry. I'm I'm not surprised about Nick at all. I mean, anybody that knows Nick Dunk, he's one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world. Um, I think a lot of people have been focused on Gordon Sargent for a long time and have forgot to look Nick Dunlap's way, but he's about to play the Walker Cup in September. Um, he's, you know, played two U.S. Opens. He had a great year last year. And uh, his performance surprises me none. Um, and then in return, like, I mean, Alabama, we've got Nick, obviously, and then myself, and then Thomas Bonder, and we brought in some good transfers. From the portal this year, we have three good freshmen coming in. So, I mean, last year I thought we were really good. I think this year the goal is to try and win a national championship, and anything less than that would be a disappointment in my eyes. Um, that might be a little overzealous, but that's really what I believe. And, um, you know, with Nick at the at the one spot and at the helm, I think anything is possible. So I think we're going to have a great year. And... Uh... We're talking to Cannon Claycomb, uh, Alabama golfer. When you are playing someone in a uh, in, in a match, are you chatting him up? Or are you just like, I, I don't even make eye contact? Do you play mind games? Uh, what is your approach? Yeah, I mean, everybody's different in match play. Some people are nice. Some people are rude. I think I'm probably a... I don't want to talk to them. They're not my friend. Um, I'm trying to beat the brakes off of them and make them not want to play ever again when I'm playing them in match play. So wow. I think Nick is probably the same way. 
uh, we're very similar in how we approach the game and how we approach match play and what we think. Um, and I think that's why he was able to beat Gordon two and one yesterday. Because he showed up and he wasn't scared of the number one player in the world. He thought he was the number one player in the world. So um, I would hate to have to play Nick Dunlap in match play. Um, I feel bad for whoever has to play him next. And um, I think that's kind of the approach that we've taken um, over the last couple of years. And I might be speaking for Nick incorrectly. He might talk to people, but I highly doubt that's the truth. And uh, <laughs> I think he's, he's out for blood until the end. Don't you have an immediate advantage on the first tee because of your first name? I mean, that's pretty intimidating in its own right. Yeah, yeah, it's good first name. Cannon. Shout out to my parents for that one. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I I think it definitely works in my favor. It doesn't hurt me at all. Um, and Cannon, yeah, Cannon, Cannon, Cannon's Cannon's like, Cannon's not a diminutive guy. He's he's a big dude, right? I mean, like it, yeah, it, yeah. it, it would be tough. <laughs> Oh, what's to be reckoned with for sure. Oh, hey, uh, man, this is really great to catch you on the course. That's that's a uh, good good job, Lars, finding your former student here. But Cannon, uh, after what happened to the FedEx in Memphis uh, with Lucas Glover winning, and his khaki pants were absolutely soaked. What is your yeah. stance on pro golfers? I know they do it on the Live Tour, but. Should they be able to wear shorts? Yeah, of course they should be wear, able to wear shorts. Like, I don't know why they shouldn't be allowed to wear shorts. I think we have a lot of rules in golf that don't make any sense. Um, but the pants rule is definitely one of them. I think it was 96 degrees with 98% humidity. Anybody that's been in the state of Alabama for the past two months can relate to that. I don't think you want to cut your yard wearing pants, and you don't want to go to dinner wearing pants. Um so I don't know why you would want to play golf wearing pants. And uh, poor Lucas Glover had a little butt sweat and he got called out for it. <laughs> yeah, on some, he should yeah, but, uh, that but was he not won, his so fault. Anybody that plays golf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He can take his $3 million to go buy as many pairs of pants as he wants. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, Funny. poor guy. It wasn't his fault. Anybody that's played golf in Alabama during the year and tried to wear pants um, has had a little butt sweat. So, yeah, I think they should definitely be allowed to wear shorts. Matt, you can now see why Cannon's one of my all-time favorite yeah. students. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's not just uh, funny, but he's quick-witted. Which, yes. uh, hey, when you get done, come sit in on the show. We'll have you any time, any day. It. Yeah, it'd be fun to get you in the studio. And, and Cannon, you and I need to talk about some other stuff, too. So, hey, thank uh -oh. you so much, Cannon, for uh, for joining us. And uh, No, it, it's just uh, career stuff. Um, it, uh, it's all good. And, uh, Cannon, uh, look forward to, uh, seeing you around Reese Pfeiffer, uh, hopefully this semester. And, uh, we will talk soon, my friend. Absolutely. I'll have to try and find your, uh, office hours and I'll be in there sometime soon. But I appreciate you guys having me on. Call me anytime. I love talking to you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Cannon. Thank you. Really, really good stuff. Man, I hope to see him on the tour in a couple of years. Yeah, I know. Uh, I he's, he's just a, he could be like it, writer's dream. Yeah. Uh, he just, he gave us some one-line zingers that, uh, gosh, that, you know, uh, PGA players wouldn't give us. <laughs> you know, truth be told here real quick, um, are there any guys on the PGA now that are funny at all? Oh, that's a good All right, question. We'll answer that question yeah. at the Tim bottom. Brando. Well, Come let's up. ask Tim Brando when we get back on Big News Sport.
If you want to start. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of sunshine this afternoon. The high today around 90. Clear tonight, below 67. Tomorrow is sunny day with a high at 92. And for the weekend, heat levels continue to rise. Lots of sunshine Saturday. Saturday and Sunday, highs between 93 and 96. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 87 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Indeed it is. Presented by Haley Sandsting, Union Home Mortgage, Matt Lars. Our producer extraordinaire is Justin Jones, and our guest from Fox Sports is a regular on this program. And Tim, I don't think we tell you enough how much we appreciate it. How you doing? I'm great, Matt. Good to be with you and Lars today. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's getting close, getting close. A week yep. from, let's see, today is uh, Thursday, so a week <clears throat> a week from today, I'll be taking my first flight out for college football. I'll be on my way to Carmen, San Diego for Ohio University and San Diego State on Saturday night on FS1. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about to start getting into my deep dive over the weekend on both the teams and, uh, and working on my, my spotter boards probably by Monday or Tuesday. So here we go. Time to put up the golf clubs and start, uh, working on depth charts. <laughs> Do you take a spotter with you where you go? Do you have your own? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Who is it? Yeah, you got a uh, Gary Bender's son, Brett Bender. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Gary's got two sons. One uh, son, Trey, is a sportscaster. Actually, if you're watching the, uh, if you've taken time to watch the HBO documentary on the Los Angeles Lakers called Winning Time, it's a great show. I mean, if if, if those of you that love the you know, basketball played uh, in the in the 80s, and it documents the bird magic years. Uh, Trey actually plays his father uh, <laughs> while doing some NBA games that his dad actually did when he was working at CBS, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, Brett uh, is um, uh, is a uh, financial planner. Uh, in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, he was once the general manager of um, uh, the the franchise for Arena Football out in Phoenix, and they won a couple of Arena Football titles. Uh, Brett's been my spotter, um, moving in on probably fifteen, sixteen years now, and uh, my content coordinator, my statistician, another overblown uh, ID for statistician, Scott Alexander. Who is a uh, a lawyer that does TV and radio in New Orleans has been my my statistician uh, since my days uh, doing the Atlanta Hawks and the Atlanta Braves, as well as uh, the Jefferson Pilot games that I did 
uh, in those early days on um, on Raycom and, and Jefferson Pilot back in the '90s. So, you know, you got to have a group of people around you in the booth that you really trust, and, and those have been my guys for a long time. Makes it a lot more fun, without a doubt. Tim, if I if I get to stick with winning time for one second, uh, uh-huh. that is based on uh, the a book uh, called Showtime by Jeff Perlman. Yeah. And yeah. Jeff's a really, really good friend of mine. And Jerry West has come out and said that, you know, this is just uh, garbage, right? And especially the, the portrayal of him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what, yeah. what do you – it's a portrayal of Jerry West a little over the top or is it accurate in your mind? No it's, no, no, it's very over the top. I mean, it is. But it's Hollywood. It's still entertainment and it's still really good. Another good friend of mine that's on that show – uh, is the actor that plays Bill Sharman, the, the general manager of that uh, organization at that time. Of course, he was the head coach when Jerry West was his player, and they won the NBA title in 72. Brett Cullen uh, is from Houston. Uh, he's my age. Uh, he, he was in a lot of great movies. He played the ranch hand that was the other man in the movie. Uh, just give him something to talk about. His real close friend is um, Dennis Quaid. They both went to Houston at the same time. If you're ever in Houston, you'll see Cullen Boulevard comes from a very, very reputable um, family that's uh, that's got some buildings at the University of Houston named after them. Uh, he was cousins of that of that very uh, uh, very strong family. Uh, not uh, his father didn't make all the money, but his uncle did. But Brett, Brett is a hell of an actor, and he's been in a lot of different series through the years. And he, he played Jackie Robinson's racist uh, manager in 42 when he was playing in Montreal. So he's played in a lot of movies. He was also the, he was also the starting quarterback that was giving, um, uh, that was looking down his nose at uh, the lead actor in the movie The Replacements uh, that you might recall was patterned after the 1982 NFL strike. So Brett's been around. He did Apollo 13. He was one of the guys in Mission Control. He plays Charmin, and he told me, he said, look, he said, we're not going to really talk about, you know, some of the storylines being a bit over the top because they've taken some liberties with that just to make the show entertaining. There was no question that West had uh, a, a big edge about him, and because he lost all the time to the Boston Celtics, it really hurt him a lot. And and um, he, he felt that what was going on with the Lakers in the 80s when he was trying to both be a coach and, and a GM at one time, some of those guys were, were not understanding the chance that they had because he had been so close so often with those great teams with Will Chamberlain and Elgin Baylor and so many others, Happy Hairston, you know, that replaced Elgin uh, and was not on that team in 72 when they finally did win it all. Uh, you know, Jerry did take it hard. I mean, he really did. But, yeah, they... The depiction of him, I think, is is the one area that I'd say is way over the top. But but it's still a fun fun show. As a matter of fact, I saw Perlman on Twitter last night appealing to people to please yeah. watch because they need the ratings to to be as high as possible with the writer strike out there. And uh, it's about numbers. And if and if the show doesn't do well, then you know HBO will pull it. And uh, that he's probably right about that. I like Jeff a lot. He's actually quoted me in his book about the USFL. And, uh, our politics are different, but I really respect the hell out of his talent as an author and, and writer. 
I'm trying to stay away from realignment, and I'm going to, as I want to continue, <laughs> and I want to continue the thought about yeah. portrayals. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You remember the the boxer, um, uh, Russell Crowe played. I can't think of the movie. It's a really good movie. Um, oh gosh, I'm, you, know, you got me reaching now. Cinderella a little bit. Man. Okay. Cinderella, Cinderella Man. Cinderella Man. Yeah. yeah. Cinderella yeah. Man. Yeah, okay. That, Thank that you. That was Justin. a great movie. Yeah. Um, in that movie, they yeah, that portrayed was, was, Max, Max Bear. Bear. Yeah, Max Bear. That's right. That's they right. portrayed right. Max Bear in a very negative light because he uh-huh. actually once killed a man in a ring. And this did not sit well with his son, who right. who played who on the Beverly Hillbillies? Jethro. Yeah. Jethro. The producer, the director of that movie was the one and only Ron Howard. Many uh-huh. years ago, right after the movie was released, we had Max Bear on the show. And this will be the only time I say this again and probably the only time uh-huh. anyone will ever hear this. But yeah, Max yeah. Bear said to us, I'd like to whip Opie Taylor's ass. <laughs> <laughs> and they, you know, they were contemporaries. You know, Beverly yeah. Hillbillies was a huge hit when Andy Griffith was a huge hit. You know, if you watch me TV, I think they're on almost you know back to back. I think maybe Mash precedes uh, Andy Griffith and and the Beverly Hillbillies come on afterwards. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a great story. Yeah. It is. Uh, um, I don't know the the, the, the really the, the story that's out there where Hollywood or art depicts life or or vice versa uh, that's going on now that's very interesting to me uh, because there's so many people now reporting on it that really don't know the backstory and don't understand it uh, is this situation with uh, Sean and Leanne Tui and Michael Orr. Um, I, 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 I was. I'm very close to that story, and and my friend Spencer Tillman's also very close to that story. And a lot of people are getting, um, I think, a little. Uh, unfortunately, they're getting some some bad information because well, they don't know the backstory on please on really Tim, what's happened. If if you can uh, uh, just tell us uh, what your well, analysis of everything with that story well, is, we, we've been talking about it too, and it's yeah, I, I, it's just it's sad. To me, but yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it's a sad story. But what's being, uh, what's being not, re- you know, when news gets a hold of a story that's got a backdrop in sports, Lars, this has always been one of my pet peeves about news when it gets involved trying to follow a story uh, that is sports related. Okay, and 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 this one is really sports related, and if you don't have an understanding of some of what's coming out from the different camps. And honestly, you're right. First and foremost, it's a sad story. It's a shame that it had to come out the way it's coming out. I saw Michael Orr on with my friend Bill Hemmer two weeks ago, hawking his new book, and it, and there's nothing in it uh, in the book. Okay, he didn't, he didn't touch on it in his own book. And uh, he, uh, it, it's just, it's a shame that, in a, in a position to promote his own book that he didn't at least deal with this uh, either in the book or at least talk about it when he had the opportunity while he was doing his book his uh, his tour for the book okay uh, it's it's a shame because he could have aired it that way uh, rather than have his lawyers 
you know, take control of it the way that he did. That, that's the unfortunate part to me, uh, is that it could have been handled. But Michael is certainly, I mean, he's an eight-year NFL pro. He was a great, he was a great player in college, great player as a pro. Had to leave a bit prematurely because of the concussion situation. But, um, yeah, it looks like one of those really bad situations where, uh, one camp digs in with his lawyers and the other camp digs in with his lawyers. And now it could play out nationally, uh, in a courtroom and be really ugly. And what, after a movie had been done to really make everyone that watched it feel good about the way people uh, can treat other people, regardless of race, uh, and, and their, and their backgrounds, um, which is what the movie The Blind Side was all about. And, uh, Tim McGraw, who played Sean Tui, is someone I met as a kid when his father Tug and I were doing an Ole Miss, uh, Kentucky game back in 1990. It was only the second time Tug had ever seen Tim McGraw. And I thought it was a breakthrough film for Tim. And I remember he did a tour about the movie, uh, uh a radio tour, which I was part of. And he remembered, of course, my story with him working with his dad. It was only the second time Tug had seen him back in 1990. Uh, and he had only discovered that he was Tim's dad, you know, uh, a few years before that. Tim lived in Ravel and was going to school at Northeast Louisiana, now ULM, and he drove over to see his father. And he was contemplating moving to Nashville. And he had some cassette tapes and played them for me. Uh, it's a sidebar story, but I, something I just had to tell you. Um, and then for, for Sean, here's a guy that I knew when he played at Newman High School in New Orleans, was the all-time assist leader in the SEC at Ole Miss. Uh, took that team to a SEC tournament title, beating Dominic Wilkins in Georgia in 1981. That was the same year that Dale Brown's team only lost one conference game all year and went to its first Final Four. But Ole Miss won the SEC tournament that year. Um, Sean was a part of all that. Uh, and he did well for himself as an independent businessman uh, and owned, uh, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 to 40 Taco Bells. Uh, and he built it from really from from scratch and made some outstanding investments and uh, and had a number of uh, par- partners in that investment area. Uh, the agent for Michael Orr, uh, Jimmy Sexton, who was also the agent of just about every coach in the SEC, as you know, including Nick Saban, was also involved with Sean in helping procure some of those um, some of those investors. Uh, including what, one, one, by the way, was Scotty Pippen, uh, who was a, a client also of Jenny's at one time. So, you know, there, there's a, there's a whole lot there that people just don't know and don't realize. And so when Sean says, I didn't need the money, I made $200 million, uh, selling, uh, my, my businesses. Uh, he's right about that. I mean, he's absolutely right about that. Um, but at the time, uh, that all of this was going on, and shortly after the movie was released, uh, my daughter entered school at Ole Miss, and, and I saw Sean and Leanne several times, and, um, and or Michael was coming back on occasion uh, to be celebrated uh, at, at Ole Miss. And so I, I was in the midst of all of them, and I just hope they can find a way to settle this thing without having to go to court. I think I think the issue becomes... Um, 
you know, the, the, the way the, the, the motion picture portrayed uh, that relationship uh, might have been, as they say, and I mentioned this earlier when talking about winning time, it may have been depicted a bit differently than, than Michael would have liked. But I think Michael did understand, and he said this many times publicly, regardless of how uh, completely true or not some of those scenes might have been, he understood the importance of the story and how much it made people feel really good about his rise from, you know, uh, being homeless and, and finding his way in life. You know, that he did say that. He said that many times publicly. Uh, it does appear that the conservatorship versus adoption circumstances is what stimulated all this in the aftermath of uh, all the money that Warner Brothers made uh, on the movie. And that is the hook for all this trouble that's brought the story uh, to the forefront of everyone. Uh, there, 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 are no, there are no winners here. This is It's just a shame because they, everyone, I think, looks bad. You know, in the aftermath of it, because I, I know both parties. I feel really sad about it. I really do. But, but news, the news people have not gotten the entire story, and and that's Gee, another. Imagine part of the that. These, this day and age, leaving <laughs> yeah, the fact yeah. out. Uh, it's not important yeah. anymore. Hey, yeah. more cinema talk with Tim Brando after we take this brief message. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. It is indeed. Presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Matt Lars, Justin okay. Jones, our producer, and our guest from Fox Sports is the one and only Tim Brando. All right, I'm still avoiding the realignment, so I'm going to go in a different direction <laughs> here, Tim. Uh, do you think PGA golfers should be able to wear shorts? Yes. 
Yes, absolutely they should. That's one thing the Live Golf uh, people got right. They absolutely should. I mean, uh, I was in Memphis. I played in the St. Jude, Danny Thomas, Celeb Am. I was on hand Friday when it was really hot. Actually, Thursday when we played the Celeb Am out at uh, uh, Spring Creek Ranch, which is a Nicholas course out in Colliersville. We had just had a storm go through. We played lift, clean, and place because it was wet, but it was also very cool. There was a lot of breeze, and the temperatures were in the low 80s. Uh, the high, I think, was 85 that day. So we really caught a break. But the next day, it was that steamy post-storm humidity rising, and the temperatures were approaching 100. I was uh, behind the 18th hole uh, in the hospitality area watching all the guys come through. And when Lucas Glover, who, by the way, I was thrilled for, uh, came through, you know, he was playing his ninth hole, and you could see completely through his pants. I mean, you could see... The jockey brand that he had. I mean, it was, I was embarrassed for him. I was. And, and uh, people will think, oh my God, that's so uncomfortable. The, the, what the PGA players are doing, uh, to offset the fact that they can't wear shorts is they're wearing, uh, materials that are so light, so light that the sweat will come through really quickly. And so when you see a guy wearing darker pants, trust me, it's because he doesn't want you to see you know, through his light pants. And, and it just so happened that Lucas was wearing that. And I mean, you could literally see the entire anatomy and, um, it, it, that, that I think becomes a bit embarrassing. And, uh, the heat is, is a part of, of, I think one of the reasons why he played so well, he stayed loose, uh, as one of the older players, he's 43 now making a tremendous comeback from losing his PTA status and coming off the corn Ferry tour. Pretty incredible. But yes, to answer your question succinctly, uh, they absolutely should allow them. Now, some of the players, I will tell you, old traditionalists would still wear longer pants. They would. Uh, it just depends on, uh, their, their decision. But I think they should have the right, uh, if they choose to wear short pants to wear them. All right. This is somewhat of a realignment question, but not, not, okay. not, not really. Uh, no Flo- Florida State, Florida State. Uh, we know that, uh, that, what, about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, Florida State President Richard McCullough came out and said the Seminoles would quote, very seriously consider leaving the ACC. Mm-hmm. All right. And now that it obviously is not happening because that August 15th deadline has come and gone. Um, why do you think he made that statement? Was it to try to was it was it, was he just floating it out there to uh, maybe the Big was, Ten and the SEC like hey we're open for business? I, I think he was appeasing his alumni base, uh, especially those that are donors that are just really pissed off, Lars. I mean, I, I, it's no different than a politician appeasing his base, knowing full well that he's he's got no landing strip for his program, and uh, because that group of people. All right, that that make up the base of, of Florida State. Uh, they're one of those schools that make no bones about the fact that they're the ones uh, paying the coaches. Okay, they they were the ones that I think got Bobby Bowden out a year sooner than Bobby wanted to be left out. He wanted to finish one more year before Jimbo took over. Uh, they're the ones that made sure that that Jimbo was the coach in waiting for two or three years before he got the job and they're, they're still, uh, the base of that program. And 
you know, they 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 have a little bit of um, amnesia, though. It's pretty clear because some of those donors are uh, my age and older, and they know full well that in 1992, when when Kramer uh, got South Carolina and Arkansas to join the SEC, the offer was extended to Florida State, and Bobby Bowden wanted no part of it. Uh, and I understood why Bobby didn't. He had built that program from a teacher's college from scraps and was playing four-for-ones and three-for-ones with teams like Ohio State, Pitt, LSU, and Nebraska, okay? And as he used to joke, I was everybody's homecoming. But that's how he built the program. When they had a chance to go into a conference, they chose the ACC because he thought, you know what, I've earned the right to have an easier road to get to a national championship. And he knew he'd have that in the ACC. So he was forthright and candid about it. But, I, I you know, people in the SEC didn't forget that. Uh, and and I think that it's just a hard sell right now, uh, particularly with Florida as the more dominant program still within the state. So uh, they can the Rowdies can get up in arms all they want, but that the president can appease them by making a statement uh, but knowing full well that this is outside uh, his purview, he, he, he can't control that. Uh, the notion that they go through private equity to get a huge loan and then pay it off with their television money over, what, 10 to 15 years? That is just absurd. Absolutely absurd. I'd love to hear what our friend Don Yeager has to say about it. He lives in Tallahassee. Yeah. In fact, I probably <laughs> ought to give it. Ought to give Don a call, you know. Yeah, he's also the ghostwriter on Michael Orr's book, so there's a there's yeah, a lot yeah. there's a lot we yeah. can talk to Don about. He's a, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's, I, I wonder if I wonder if, if he I wonder if if, if he pressed upon uh, Michael that maybe he shouldn't go into a deep dive, or did he want him to, and then he he still chose not to? Because to me, that's the most amazing thing is that he was on this gr- huge book tour. And obviously they would have sold a lot more books if he had gone into that. Yeah. Chose not to, and now all of this is. It almost makes it look like it was an 11th hour decision to sue. And, you know, we don't know what Michael Orr did with his revenue from the eight years he spent in the NFL. We don't. I mean, did he go through all his money? I mean, there's, there's so many questions out there, I think. Um, and I'm not taking sides. I'm really not. I, like I said, I, I know both of, of those sides, and I I hate for both of them what they're what they're going through. So a little bit of breaking news from uh, another one of our uh, mutual journalism friends, Chris Lowe yeah. from ESPN, right. He's reporting that uh, Peyton Thorne has won the Auburn starting quarterback job. Uh, and I, I know that you are very familiar with Peyton Thorne, who uh, tra- transferred yep. from Michigan State. Uh, what What is Auburn getting in Peyton Thorne? Uh, a really good decision maker. Not the most talented guy. Uh, I would I, I would tell you though that because he's such a good decision maker, uh, he, he's probably going to be the right kind of quarterback for a guy like Hugh Freeze to have to start his program. All right, uh, he's somewhere between. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to throw two names out there that that'll make you think because each of them had their fair share of pitfalls. Okay but each had some great moments under you. You know, when you think about it, they each had some great moments. Uh, in my mind, 
He's a cross between um, Bo Wallace, who, if you think about it, uh, shouldn't have to buy a beer in Oxford for the rest of his life <laughs> after after what he did beating Alabama that day uh, in Oxford uh, when Alabama was number one. But Bo, as you know, could either be good Bo or bad Bo. He either was really hot uh, or he was really not hot. Uh, and the other guy is Jarrett Stidham, who probably had uh, more overall talent than Bo Wallace, but uh, and and also had some uh, better decision making, you know, as a pocket passer and somebody that had come up through a system that was similar to uh, what you run. You know, uh, spread it out, chunk it, get angles, uh, and, and get rid of the ball as fast as you can and be as accurate as you can. Bo lacked accuracy on occasion. Stidham was more accurate, but, but sometimes he'd get in trouble by trying to do too much. I, I, I think Auburn's capable of winning eight games this year, fellas. I do. I, I, I think that they're going to be one of those teams, uh, in the SEC that surprises. Uh, I, I like them in the West as a surprise team. And, and I think Kentucky, who's always overlooked, uh, along with Missouri, are, are two teams that are very capable. Um, I'd, I'd love to pick South Carolina because they've had, they've had some big wins. But I just think Shane Beamer's team's got too big of a hill to climb with that murderer's row schedule of theirs. South Carolina's got a really tough schedule. Tim. Uh, by the way, guys, I want to insert this real quick uh, from AL.com this morning. The new color analyst for Auburn is Jason Campbell, the former quarterback and NFL player. Um, yeah. Round pick. Uh, Jason Campbell says he believes it's going to be Peyton Thorne, too. So, all right, back mm-hmm. to more fun. Let's talk more films, yeah. Tim. Um, if you had to, just off the top of your head right now, name five sports movies that you would watch again this afternoon. That you like? Well, well, you know, five sports movies. Um, I think you have to start with Brian's song. I mean, I mm. just think you know it hit me at a time that you know I was in junior high at that time, 1970, and ABC, an ABC uh, m- movie, and it was made for television. Uh, mm. The the others that jump out at me, I, I thought 42 was really really good. Um, unfortunately, the actor is. is since left us, he thought, I thought his depiction of Jackie Robinson was uh, off the charts good. I really loved the original Longest Yard with uh, Burt Reynolds, okay? I thought that one was, you know, it made me laugh and it made me think a little bit. I was uh, a big fan of that movie. The Natural uh, would have to be in the top five uh, with Robert Redford and, and again, the casting in it was fantastic. And um, obviously, uh, Costner's depiction of uh, the movie with James Earl Jones, you know, Field of Dreams, it, it's got to be in there. Those, those, And a lot of that is, uh, it wasn't just sports, it was about, you know, a father-son relationship. And all of us that miss our dad, whether we played baseball or not, uh, uh, was, was, wasn't the deal. It was the influence our dads had over our lives. What about North? I what, think that was the hook. What about North Dallas Forty? Oh my God! Yes, love North Dallas Forty. <laughs> Again, um, the book was great. And you know what? Uh, and this would be just outside my top five too. Would be uh, semi tough. Oh, I love yeah. semi tough. Semi tough was so good. You know, I I thought because again I read the book, 
And I thought um, Nick Nolte playing Pete Jen, okay, was awesome. But even better was the uh, the, the Don Meredith depiction that was <laughs> done by the, the country singer Matt Davis uh, was also fantastic uh, in that film. So there's a number of them out there. But uh, uh, probably Brian's song has got to be number one. Tim, we're going to do this again in person and uh, at, a, at a pub, okay? Uh, we got to do it. Because yeah, I love talking to this. Tim, you're the best. Thank you again. We appreciate it very much. All the best. You know, check us out a week from Saturday Yep, on that's FS1. You. you got it. All right. Tim Brando from Fox Sports. You'll hear him and watch him all fall and into winter as well. Um, when we get back, Lars, we're not going to talk about films. We're not going to talk about realignment, but we are going to talk about what Lars wants to talk about. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of sunshine this afternoon. The high today around 90. Clear tonight below 67. Tomorrow is sunny day with a high at 92. And for the weekend, heat levels continue to rise. Lots of sunshine Saturday and Sunday. Highs between 93 and 96. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 87 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Good Zoo on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Back on Big Noon Sports, I'm Matt Coulter, along with Lars Anderson. Our producer is Justin Jones. And if I can understand through all the technical snafus that I've had here today, apparently we do have Justin Fowler. On the no, phone. I'm sorry, Ryan Fowler. Ryan Fowler. Hey, I can be Justin. I can block. I mean, I can I can uh, be a fullback. I mean, I'm okay. Well, I'm, I can't run the ball. We were supposed to have him on at 12.15, and I get a text that said Fowler's going to join us. I went, okay, he's okay. called back. That's and, my and, bad. Know, That's uh, my bad. No, it's, it's not anybody. You know, I bad. always wanted an Alabama jersey that said Fowler when Justin was here. Because, I mean, I thought that would be kind of cool, but I never could locate that one. Uh, that was pre-NIL world. 
Are, are you one of those guys that'll wear a, a team jersey to a you game? You know, the last jersey I have that I've ever purchased was Andrew Zhao, and uh, really enjoyed. Uh, so it's been a little bit. It's uh, Lake Butler, uh, Florida, great uh, player at the University of Alabama, held the passing record uh, for a long, long time. But uh, I'm not a big jersey guy. Uh, not not huge. Not Who's huge. your all-time favorite player? Derek Thomas. No, it's not even a question. And uh, I love to hear Derek Thomas stories coming from different people. And uh, that's, you know, and I, I heard last year Will Anderson being compared to Derek Thomas, and I didn't want to jump into that. Um, I, I don't think there's even a comparison. I mean, uh, uh, Derek Thomas was just unreal. But uh, I was a two-way player in the backyard. Bobby Humphrey on one side, Derek Thomas as a kid in North Alabama. So I was a two, two-way guy. I played both sides of the ball. Matt, who is your favorite all-time Alabama player? Uh, well, I, I think um, y'all will understand why, but uh, Ken Stabler. Oh, wow. You know? yeah. um, and, of course, I'm the only one old enough to actually remember and watch him. But uh, even I was pretty young back then. All right, let's talk quarterbacks with you, Ryan. Um, what do you know that we don't? <laughs> uh <laughs> I know that Nick Saban would love to have some separation, but basically, I'm not. give us your best information you have from your show and share it here first. Okay, yeah, let's break well, it. Uh, <laughs> I think it, it all depends on who you talk to. Different day, right? I mean, it's it's one day it's Ty Simpson, the next day it's Jalen Milrow. Uh, last week, I heard going into the scrimmage that Ty Simpson had really, you know, grabbed the bull by the horns, Nick Saban verbiage, and then we hear Jalen Milrow had the better scrimmage. So uh, this week, it's a little bit different. Uh, maybe it's it's just it depends on which day. I truly believe when Coach Saban stood up in Nashville and said there's no separation, 15 days into camp, I I think that's probably the case now. And I've always said no separation means that Jalen Milrow will be your starter. Agreed. Um, what do you? Uh, what other nuggets of information have you picked up from Saturday's scrimmage? Defense, I think, is going to be a lot better. I think they're going to be aggressive. I think Kevin Steele is going to fix a lot of those fundamental uh, problems from last year. I think the pre-snap penalties they would love to be able to fix. I still don't know if that's going to be fixed. I mean, it's a big – I mean, let's say you can cut that in half. I mean, they were 123 out of 131 last year in penalty yards. And in the losses, they were averaging around 113 yards per uh game in penalty yards you, you got to trim that you've got to cut down those mistakes i just don't think this team they're not going to have that bryce young hey let's go get bryce to bell us out because he did for the last couple of years i think they're going to have to play physical uh they're going to have to there's only really one way that i see this team competing for a championship and that's to have one of those you know physical football teams but then again you have to throw the football to keep people honest if you don't uh, they're going to load the box and they're going to dare you to throw. It's it's can you get those guys, uh, especially those safeties, to respect your passing game? Is this team going to look more on the offensive side like 2009 than any team of uh, the last sort of five years, meaning uh, sort of a run first, power, uh, um, bleed the clock, you know, take the ball out of the air or the air out of the ball, so to speak? I think so, but is Coach Saban willing to do that? Because at times he says that he wants to do that. I mean, I know he spoke to a Red Elephant Club a couple of years ago and said, hey, this is who I want to be, but I'm still not convinced. Will he do it? 
because that's the only way. Uh, a lot of coaches are stubborn. I, Coach Saban uh, doesn't like to abandon things. He is willing to change. But I think that's my biggest question. Is is he going to do it? Uh, because the margin of error, if you play that brand of football, it's, it's slim. Uh, and we saw that last year with Georgia. Even though we crowned them as the national champ, one field goal that pulls to the right instead of the left – uh, and, and we're not talking about Georgia winning the national title. So Ohio State would have had a chance to play TCU. So you, you look at it, is he going to get razzle-dazzle? Is he going to try to find – because there's some weapons on this offensive side of the football. And I think you can really do some things. But physicality needs to be the number one priority. Is Caleb Downs the guy everybody's thinking about? I mean, is he going to be the biggest contributor as a first-year player. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I, I think he reminds a lot of people of Mika Fitzpatrick. Uh, he grasps the offense. And if you hear Coach Saban talking about rotating the secondary and how multiple guys can play there, that secondary is going to be deep. Uh, I think T-Rob, what he's done with that group, is it gives you a lot of hope. But but I'll leave you with this. Uh, they have a concern at left tackle and in pass protection. That's got to be a problem. And uh, we're going to talk with Blake Brockemeyer about that. Uh, coming up here in just a couple of minutes because that one guy can change your entire offensive line. That blind side of the quarterback, you've got to be able to protect him. And sacks has been a problem this week. It was a problem last week. And it was even a problem last year. Uh, that's something they've got to get fixed. And maybe this just goes back to running the football. Not to be mistaken for Justin Fowler. Ryan Fowler, <laughs> thank you for your time and have a great show. Thank you. All right. We will do this again in 22 hours. Big Noon Sports.